Pull out your phone and head to praise.fyi. Get ready to follow along with the scriptures from today's message under message notes. Add your own notes as you listen, and when you're finished, enter your email address to send yourself a copy of the notes. Praise.fyi, your place for everything praise. Awesome. So if you didn't get that, pick up your phone and open it up to praise.fyi, and you'll find on there a little spot where you can tap on uh, message notes this morning. It'll have all the verses that we'll be working through uh, together during this message uh, this morning. So feel free to do that. Also, if you want, just grab your Bible, and you can do that as well. Either way, we want you to be able to look at the scriptures today as we all kind of gather with that intention, knowing that Jesus Christ, through the scriptures, reveals himself. And we want to know him today and know the power of his resurrection today. And so that's really what we're gathering to do. And so if you would grab your phones, grab your Bibles, grab something. And even if it's your spouse's bottom. (laughs) Happy Easter. (laughs) Hey, I'm so glad again that you are here this morning. So let me just walk you through something. And that is this. Um, So we're right in the middle of our Easter series, which has got to be a terrible idea to do an Easter series. Like, I'm sure we're the only church in the entire nation which is doing an Easter series. Here's the great thing, though. Give them five years and they'll catch up. Because, because, what's great about this is if you came today hoping to check mark the box saying, I went to church on Easter, <laughs> our Easter is a series. And so you have to come back several more weeks in order to check mark that box, okay? So, so if you want to check mark that box, come back next week and then the week after, um, because we're right in the middle of this series. This, we're in week two of this series. Um, the idea behind this series really just comes down to this. And we started this, or we started it last Sunday, but... If you came to the Good Friday service, oh, so good, so good, so good, so good. But we pitched and kind of communicated what it was that we wanted to see and what was it we wanted to accomplish and what is it we wanted to know this Easter Sunday. And it really comes down to one question. How does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ change my heart? How does it change the inside of me? How does it change my deepest person? Because I know that God is most concerned with what's happening inside of here. Okay? Scripture bears that out. If you don't believe that, read the Bible. God is most concerned with what's going on inside here. Okay? But even as he's most concerned with that, if his greatest and deepest work is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you its effects on me will not be skin deep. If God is most concerned with my heart, his deepest and greatest work, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, will do its deepest and greatest work in the deepest part of me. So I want to know, how does the death and the resurrection change what's going on inside of here? I want to know it for me, and I want to know it for you. And so this was our question. This was the question that we've tried to answer, and it will take us weeks to answer. Because, I mean, we could work through scripture after scripture after scripture and not exhaust the depths of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and accomplished in the tomb, right? Like, the death of Jesus Christ, man, we could read all, I could just read verse after verse for the rest of our time together today and not exhaust it. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is exactly the same. So we can only handle but a tiny piece. 
We can only get but a sliver. But that sliver today, I hope it includes the power of the resurrection for you. So here's the verse that really sets this up for us. It's a great verse. It's a verse that um, I think people should quote more often. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody besides me quote it. Um, but I love this verse, and if you want to impress me, which I know is probably your deepest desire this morning, <laughs> but if you wanted to impress me, like just bust out this verse sometime when we're talking, like we could be talking about coffee and be like, yeah, just like 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 says, and I'll be like, okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 is, I think, the best definition of holiness practically in the entire Bible, Okay. And I, I love this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This is really what this series is based on. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Oh, that's good. The aim of our charge, this is what we're seeking to accomplish. This is what Jesus Christ accomplished for us in his death and his resurrection. A, a love that issues from a pure heart a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Last week we talked about a pure heart. If you want to hear that, you got to go back and you got to listen to it. So today we're going to talk about a good conscience. A good conscience. And so if you came in this morning hoping that by coming to Easter service at praise, you'd be like, all right, I'm leaving with a good conscience. You had no idea what is available to you this morning. Because we are going to talk about how the resurrection gives us a good conscience. And it does. How were the baptisms this morning? How awesome was that, right? Like, how great is that? How cool is that? That's what Easter is all about, right? Like, the death of, of Jesus Christ and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we're talking about here is the end of the old, the beginning of the new. Going down in the water, coming back out, we symbolize that work inside of us. It's all about new life, and that's why it's such a great day on Easter to do a baptism service. It's a great day to be baptized, is Easter Sunday, I think. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read for you a verse that's a great baptism verse. This is really the verse we're digging into this morning. And uh, it's a verse that talks about more than just baptism, but it gives you an idea of what baptism is about. Man, you can get your teeth into it with this verse. Here's what it says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 here. It says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So Peter here is talking about, right before this, um, he's really talking about Noah and the flood. He's talking about the fact that Noah and his family, eight people, came through the flood by hiding in the ark. And that's when he says, baptism which corresponds to this the this there is the story of Noah and the flood. So what he is saying is this. Baptism represents at least a part of it, and you may have never even heard this, but the, what it represents is the fact that those waters, the flood, was the judgment of God. Okay? But by hiding in the ark, which is Christ Jesus, 
we come through that judgment and come out the other side. Okay, so that's what he's talking about here. And that's why he's talking about this baptism and he says, now the baptism saves you, but he's like, right away, he says, I don't want you to be confused about this because going down in the water is not going to make a difference for you, right? It's not going to wash something off like that's going to be actually helpful for you. It's not what actually saves you. He says, here's how it saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. A good conscience. Let me say right up front, I want a good conscience. I want a good conscience. And here's the thing. I'm convinced that it would be something to fight for. I'm convinced that it would be something to strive for. I'm convinced that it would be something to work for. That would be a great end. But according to this verse... That's not how I get a good conscience. I do not get a good conscience by working for it. Because what does it say? It is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now, why would I appeal to someone unless I cannot do it myself? Right? Why would I ask somebody else to give me something which I can already do on my own? But the great thing about the word appeal, oh, I love this is not only does it speak to the fact that I can't do it on my own, it speaks to the fact that God can do it for me. Right? If I have a great business idea, it's going to make me billions of dollars, and I just need somebody to invest, let's say a million dollars, you know, small money, right? Pocket change. I need somebody to invest about a million dollars in my brilliant business idea, it's going to make me billions. I don't go to the people who have no money to get that million dollars, right? If I'm going to make an appeal to somebody, I'm going to make sure they have a million dollars to invest. I'm about 98% sure that the Shark Tank will never have a spin-off show called The Bum Tank. Right? Like, there'll never be a show where they come in and pitch it to people who are like, well, I got nothing. You got anything? No, no. If you don't have what I need, I'm not going to ask you for it. Just totally disconnected from that. If you do have a million dollars, I'd love to chat with you after service. Totally, (laughs) totally disconnected. Completely unrelated, okay? So when it says that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience, it tells me, listen, I can't do this on my own. But along with that, the incredible promise that God can do it for me, right? So I go to him for a good conscience, and it's an appeal to him to give me a good conscience. I can't make it happen, but he can give it to me. And how does he do that, according to this verse? But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, we got to pause and we got to ask a question like, what in the world is a good conscience? And to talk about what a good conscience is, you really need to back up a little further and ask, what in the world is a conscience? And a conscience, actually, the Latin for conscience is co-knowledge, okay? In the Greek, it's the same, co-knowledge. The idea is that it is inside of me, it is me, God gave me this thing called a conscience, and the conscience knows what's happening inside of me. 
because it is me, and there's nothing that I can hide from my conscience. Like, if you're trying to hide from your conscience, you're never going to win that game, right? Like, peekaboo with your conscience. It never, it never works. Hide and seek with your conscience. You're never going to be able to hide from your conscience. Your conscience knows you well. It's inside of you, okay? But it is, as what knows you, it is the alarm system for whether or not we are living according to the values and the knowledge that we hold. So if my values are one thing and I'm living not in accordance with that, my conscience will speak to me. And the way it speaks to me is through feelings, certain feelings that we'll see kind of rise to the top. So it's like an alarm system. It's a gauge, right? And it's alarm saying uh, uh, something's wrong here. And if, you, if your conscience is clear then, a clear conscience would be when you're in the cockpit and there's no alarms going off, smooth sailing, clear skies, everything's great, don't worry about it. That's a clear conscience, right? But this doesn't say that we appeal to God for a clear conscience. It says we appeal to God for a good conscience, which I'm convinced is not the same thing. Because a clear conscience is a conscience that doesn't have an alarm going off. A good conscience has a good alarm system. I don't know how much you've been following the stuff with uh, the Boeing 737 MAX. Right? If you flew here visiting family and so you're in for Easter, you probably have been following at least a little bit of what's going on with the Boeing 737. If you're flying in the next four months, you probably at least have been paying some attention to the fact that every Boeing 737 MAX in the world right now is grounded, and so as a result, there's all kinds of flights that have been canceled and all of that. I'm not going on any plane flights uh, anytime soon, but that's not why I'm, I'm following it. I'm following it because I'm a nerd, and I really, for whatever reason, it caught my attention. I'm like, I want to know more about that. What's going on with this? So the deal with the Boeing 737 MAX is this. Uh, the Boeing 737 was Boeing's like workhorse and almost every airline everywhere's workforce plane. It's been in service since like 1967 and it's a great frame. But since 1967, there's been all kinds of upgrades in technologies. So they realized, hey, you know, we can increase the efficiency, the capacity, like we can increase the amount of people we can pack on one of these planes if we upgrade the jet engines on the plane. Keep the same frame, it'll save us money, we don't have to develop a whole new frame, and it'll save the airlines money, because then you don't need to retrain pilots. You just tell them, hey, it's still a Boeing 737, you've already been trained on it, you don't have to relearn it, okay? So they put newer, bigger, better, more efficient engines on the old plane, and they called it the Boeing 737 MAX. Now there's an issue, because the frame was not built for those engines and they're bigger, and they're more powerful, and, and uh, pilots are not going to be used to it. And so there's this tendency on the Boeing 737 MAX for, uh, as the overpowered engines are running, to nose up a little bit. Okay? So as a result, if you're nosing up a little bit, eventually you're going to stall out, because you just keep going up, right? And so their solution was to build a software system called the MCAS, the Maneuvering uh, uh, Capabilities Augmentation System, which is a whole lot of words to say 
it forces the nose down. Which when you think about, on a plane that's flying in the air, do you really want a software system that's whole purpose is to point it down? Like, that one didn't quite make it through that thought process. But they put the system on there. So it works great until the one sensor that it's based on on the wing gets damaged, hits a duck, or some guy is fueling it up and accidentally damages it, damages the sensor, and it convinces the plane, hey, we're going too slow, there's not enough lift, nose down. Okay, that's a bad system. And there could be no alarms going off in the cockpit, no lights flashing. It's still going down. Eventually it will crash, which it did twice. Ethiopian flights uh, 302 and Lion Air flight 610. Twice, hundreds of people died because of the fact it was a bad system, okay? A clear system has no alarms. A good system keeps you flying. So a clear conscience has no alarms going off. But it is possible to have a clear conscience with no alarms going off and you're still headed for a crash. So a good conscience keeps you in the air. This says that through the power of the resurrection, we appeal to God for a good conscience. Here's why I think it's not the same thing. Because a clear conscience, it says, where do, how is this bought? It's bought from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A clear conscience is bought in the death of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 says that I am given a clear conscience as a result of the death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives me a good conscience. This is the creative work of God inside of me. And that is a result of the resurrection. He speaks and he brings my dead, old, defiled conscience back to life and gives me a good conscience. This is a good thing. And with everything inside of me, I want a good conscience. Here's why. It says here, uh, verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. This language is very specific language, and you find it all through the New Testament. And we could just jump to all of the different benefits from the fact that Jesus Christ, when he died, rose again, he was elevated and put at the right hand of God, right? Like, there are all kinds of benefits for us from the fact that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. I'm just going to pick out one in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Here's what it says. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So a good conscience does not condemn. A good conscience does not condemn you or me. Why? 
because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of God and he is interceding for you and for me. So a good conscience does not condemn. Okay, let's start with that. However, a good conscience does give guilt. Right? I feel guilty sometimes and that is a good thing. Here's why. If I am objectively guilty, a good conscience in that instance would make me subjectively feel guilt. So then the question is, what's the difference between guilt and condemnation? Between conviction and shame? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Ask somebody else. Okay, let's, no, I'm just kidding. It's a great question. I get asked it all the time. How do you know the difference between conviction and condemnation, guilt and shame? Well, one question that you can ask yourself is this. Does it drive you into Christ Jesus or away from Christ Jesus? Does it bring you to your knees in repentance to him or does it push you away? Because condemnation will always drive us away from, anytime we sin, anytime we sin, the most natural reaction is to hide ourselves. We want to hide ourselves. That's the result of sin. But we've got a choice on where we're going to hide ourselves. Are we going to hide ourselves like Adam and Eve did all the way back in Genesis, where they hid themselves behind some fig leaves? I hate to break it to you, but fig leaves don't cover a whole lot, okay? It doesn't. Right? I've read those books, like the kids' books, and man, I'm like, Adam and Eve, goodness, you guys got to put some clothes on. Fig, fig leaves don't cover a whole lot. And condemnation will make us try to hide ourselves away from him. Guilt and conviction will hide us in him. Okay, hear that again, because this is huge. Either way, we're going to hide. We're either going to fr hide from him, or we're going to hide in him. And what this passage says is that Jesus Christ is the ark that we are hiding inside of in order to pass through the waters of God's judgment, right? Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock when God's holiness passed by. Why? Because that's the only place he could hide. And the cleft of the rock for us is Jesus Christ, and we can hide in him. Guilt and conviction will bring us to the point where we hide in Christ Jesus, not hide from Christ Jesus. So don't hide behind fig leaves. Hide in Christ Jesus. That's what uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 6 talks all about. Hide in him. Because you can hide in him, and you'll have freedom. Why? Because look at the rest of 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, he says, it says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Oh man, all things are under Jesus' feet. So when we are hiding in him as a result of a good conscience, which says, you sinned, there is guilt put it in Christ Jesus. And as we hide in Christ Jesus, that, that voice comes back and condemns us again. And what do we say to it as we're hiding in Christ Jesus? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm in Christ Jesus. You're under Christ Jesus. 
right? Because all things are under his feet. So there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. And so this says to me, oh, I want a good conscience because a good conscience won't just pretend like everything's going well as I'm headed into the ground. Instead, it'll fire off a siren that says, get into Christ Jesus. So you want a good conscience. I want a good conscience. And it is available in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection more every day because it calls alive inside of us a good conscience. Oh, I want it. And I hope you do too. And there's so much more we could talk about this. There's so much more in depth we could go. There's so much beauty and richness to the fact that God gives us a good conscience. We can't because we don't have time. So I'm going to encourage you to join us this Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. If you join us in here, we're going to go much more in depth on this idea and what it looks like. And if you're the type of person who constantly feels condemnation, you're like, is that from a good conscience or a defiled conscience? We're going to talk about that in deepness and richness this Wednesday night, 6.30. Make sure to join us for that. Instead, what I'll do now is I just want to point out to you just two reasons. Uh, Let's give you three reasons. I'll give you three reasons, two and then a bonus, okay? Two reasons and then a bonus on why a good conscience is a good thing. A good conscience is a good thing because it helps us to live fully. It helps us to live fully. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, It says, and there's a couple verses there that I want to kind of read for us. Verse 19 specifically says, by this, and the this there it's talking about is real love, true love, deep love, the kind of love that it's talking about back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, the type of love that issues from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. He says, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. So this is conscience language, right? Our heart is giving us signals. And he says, first thing when you get a conscience or a signal, you should do is you should step back and you should ask yourself, objectively, do I have the fruit that comes from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith? He says, if you have love for God, if you love Christ Jesus, if you know Christ Jesus, if you are hidden in Christ Jesus, and you start getting ill signals, oh, well, recognize the love and love for others, too. That's clearly a part of it, too. He says, if you objectively see the fruit, he said, here's what you should do in that moment when you start getting those signals. First, John, let me jump to it. 319. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So if I objectively look at it and I say, oh, I've got the fruit, so that's got to be coming from somewhere. 
And then on top of that, I know what the scripture has to say. And I know that God is greater than my heart. Then I can put that thing in proper perspective. And where does it belong? Well, I'm in Christ Jesus. It belongs under Christ Jesus. Because God is greater than my heart. So in that moment, I reassure myself before him. But then it continues on, and this is the thing of beauty. I love this, I love this, I love this. It says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, oh, then we have confidence before God. So if I'm not getting bad signals from my heart, and objectively I see the fruit, and I know what the scriptures say, then in that moment, I have confidence before him. See, I personally have this innate distrust for what's happening inside my heart because I've read all of the scriptures which talk about the fact that there's evil there. But I've started reading other scriptures lately. And the scriptures I've been reading are talking about what God does in me as a result of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what he does is he gives me a pure heart And he gives me a good conscience. Why would he do that unless he expects me to rely upon it? And if it's not giving me ill signals and I can see the fruit and I do know what the scriptures say, then I live with confidence. And the great thing about a conscience, this is, oh, this is why a conscience is such a good thing. A good conscience is such a good thing. Is that in spite of whatever pressures are pushing against me, I can stand firm. If I have a good conscience, which is clear, I can stand firm, and boy, you can throw all kinds of moral things at me. But if I know the truth, and if I'm standing in that truth, I will not be moved. Good conscience, clean conscience helps me to stand by my decisions, by my words, by my actions. If I have a good conscience that is clear, boy, that's a good way to live. And here's what else it says. This is good. He says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That is a full way to live. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about every time you read in scripture the word ought. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. Every single one of those are conscience words. This is what I ought to do. But what this is saying is that the oughts of Scripture become the oughts of my heart. That from the inside, I want to do these things. And that's the beautiful thing of the power of the resurrection in my conscience. It makes an evil or a corrupted conscience turned to good. And that is a good thing. Because then I live fully. I don't have to be afraid of every little thing. But instead, I can stand firm, stand strong, and stand tall. But that's not all it does. It also gives me the ability to live freely. In Titus, Paul's talking to Titus, who's a pastor, and he says, Hey, Titus, there are some people who are going to try to add to what Jesus Christ did. And they're going to try to add to what people need to do in order to live for Christ. He said, these people are going to tear apart families. They're going to break things apart. And he says, but you don't do that. Because this, in, 1 Timothy, or in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. 
But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So if I am living freely with a good conscience that is clear, oh, all things are pure. And I don't have to be afraid of every little thing. I don't have to be afraid of, okay, is this bad? Is this bad? Not if I have a good conscience which has been surrendered to Jesus Christ and by the power of the resurrection has been raised again. I don't have to worry like that. No fear for me. I live freely. And that's a beautiful thing. Because even here it says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are not pure, to those who are defiled, they have a defiled conscience, unbelieving, nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So in Acts chapter 24, Paul is brought before a courtroom. And as he's standing in that courtroom before Felix and a bunch of other people who are throwing all kinds of accusations at him, he stands there and he says, first, these accusations are just weak. Right? Like these guys, I didn't do any of that. And then he says, and this is why I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and before man. Because now I can stand here in the midst of it and not be timid. This is why a good conscience is good. That we might stand. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says that the wicked flee when nobody is pursuing them. But the righteous, oh, they stand like a lion. <laughs> that's what I want, to live true, light, pure. And that happens as a result of the power of the resurrection. Knowing Christ Jesus, I appeal to God for a pure heart. I appeal to him for a good conscience through the resurrection. And he's gone into heaven and all things have been submitted under his feet. That's why we should want a good conscience, which is available to us through the power of the resurrection. Now a bonus. Did you know that when you stand before God, your conscience will be called as a witness? That's what it says in Romans chapter 2. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. What this is saying is that on the day when I stand before God, he will call my own witness or my own conscience as a witness. See, I used to think that on that day, the only accuser was going to be Satan. And you know what? That was actually a little bit of a comforting thought. Because I, I don't know about you, but like, I think Satan's got bigger fish to fry than me. Right? And he's not omniscient. Let's be clear about that. He is not omniscient. And he might miss a thing or two. 
And some things he might even look at and go, wow, that was pure and holy. That Alan, whew, not going to be able to catch him. And on the outside, that might be exactly what it looks like. But you see, my conscience knows what's going on in here. And it knows what the motivations are. And those things that on the outside might look pure and holy, my conscience knows what's really going on on the inside. And what this says is that he will judge the secrets of men. So all those things that I'm like, man, I'm doing a really good job of hiding. Peekaboo, conscience. I'm going to stand before God and the witness that God will call will be my own conscience. Can I say to you that on that day, I want it to be a good one. Oh, it will witness. And it will have all kinds of things it could bring up. But read the verse again. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, according to my good news, according to how I understand what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. How? By Christ Jesus. That's a really big three words there, friends. Because on that day when my conscience is standing next to me before God and testifying, there's going to be a whole lot to bring up. But it will be by Christ Jesus. And if I have hidden myself in him, if I have entered the ark, if I have hidden in the cleft of the rock that is Jesus Christ, I will come through those waters. And friends, oh, on that day, that good conscience called to life will say, of me, he is in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. And that, friends, that, friends, is a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want to know how to live holy and fully for him? Holy, H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, W-H-O-L-L-Y, H-O-L-Y. Do you hear me follow on that? How to live holy, holy, holy. You want to live that way? It includes the work of the resurrection calling our heart and our conscience come alive. Be a good conscience. And in that, then I don't need to be afraid, but I can live in such a way that is full and free. And if my heart condemns me ever, I look at it and I say to you, I know what Jesus Christ accomplished for me, and I am hidden in him. And if it doesn't condemn me, then I can stand with confidence before God, knowing that I am hidden in the cleft of the rock. So that's Jesus Christ, friends. That's what he does for us, friends. 
He not only gives us a clean conscience, he gives us a good conscience. And boy, do I want that. And you do too. You do too. Because you will stand before God. And on that day, you want that witness to be a witness for the defense, not the prosecution. You want that to be a good witness, which only happens by the power of the resurrection inside of you. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And we always end our service this way. We always end with a time of just standing. And there's a reason for that. Because Revelation is clear that when we are before him, guess what we're doing? We stand before him. Now, also let me be clear that this is about judgment. So the manner that we stand before him, what that should show us is exposure. Okay? And you won't have a bunch of people around you. <laughs> you can hide behind one of them. Right? Instead, you will stand before him completely open and lay bare before him. And there are no fig leaves there. He'll see every bit of our hearts. And what's great is, in that moment, as our conscience is called as a witness, if it's a good conscience, it will be a good thing. If it's not a good conscience, it will be a very bad thing. But right now, before music starts to play or anything else, I just want you to close your eyes. Because there's a reason why I ask you to stand. Because there's the chance that as you are standing there right now, even before you came to church today, you feel guilty. Maybe right now you sense and you know that guilt. Maybe for some of you it's condemnation. Boy, come back on Wednesday. Because that's a different thing. If it drives you from him, that's condemnation. If it drives you into him, that's a good thing. And if right now you uh, subjectively feel guilt, perhaps, perhaps that is because you are objectively guilty. If I sin, I should feel guilt. If it doesn't cause me to repent, that's something else. But if you stand before God and you feel guilty, that's a good thing. That's a good thing if it's coming from a good conscience. So I want you to just take a moment and examine your own heart this morning. Is there guilt there? Is that a result of a good conscience inside of me? Is there a siren that's going off in my cockpit right now? Is there a gauge that's saying, boy, you better do something else. This is not a good path. You're headed towards the ground. That's okay. Take a moment. Don't hide from it. And now, I want you to hide in Christ Jesus. Oh, in the midst of all that we are, in our weakness and our failures, in all that we have done wrong, in all of the ways that we have failed, in all the ways that we know that nobody else knows, in all the ways that are hidden before man, 
Oh God, we hide them in Christ Jesus. We're not going to hide them behind the fig leaf of binge-watching TV shows until I don't have to deal with it anymore. Or hide it behind the fig leaf of somebody else and their love for me. We're not going to hide it behind the fig leaf of deadening that with any kind of substance. But we will stand exposed before you and then we will hide in Christ Jesus. And as the judgment comes, we'll be safe inside of that ark. As the holiness of God is present with us, we will be hidden in the cleft of the rock. And oh God, a good conscience and a clear conscience will be found in him. And that condemnation is under him. It's gone in the name of Jesus. This morning, I really want to, even as your eyes are still closed, and as you're standing there, I want to speak to you really quick about the fact that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope. We cannot do it. We're not good enough. And yet, in Christ Jesus, on that day, our conscience will testify we're in him. And that judgment is by Christ Jesus. We'll hear the testimony of your conscience today, but also hear the testimony of the cross and the testimony of the tomb. You have been made new. The old is gone and the new has come. But if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, oh friends, you got to start there. Allow the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to cleanse your heart today, right now. Scripture is really clear how that happens, what we do. We confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. We say, you're Lord of my life. We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that the scriptures are true of him, that he died for my sins and then was raised for my life, right? He died for a clear conscience. He lives for a good conscience. And as we believe in him, as we confess with our mouth, then we will be saved, will be hidden in Christ Jesus. This is what's available to each and every one of us this morning. So I'm going to pray, and as I do... I'm going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. And I would encourage you to join with me in that. And if you've never done it before, speak those words. Declare him as Lord today. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Father, we come to you as those, O oh Lord, who know the weakness within our own heart and the failings, many failings of our lives. But God, we also know that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection were your greatest work. It was your greatest work. And your greatest work will not have a superficial impact on me. Won't be skin deep, but it will affect me deeply in my deepest heart. And today, right now, in the name of Jesus, I confess him as Lord of my life. You're Lord of every part. All of me, every part of my heart. You are Lord today. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. 
that you died for my sins on the cross and that you were raised. You're not still in that tomb, but you were raised. And as you were raised, I was raised with you. I was raised with you and I have new life and I have a pure heart and I have a good conscience in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I hide myself in Christ today. And oh Lord, I trust you for all of it. I trust you that you will bring me through the judgment. That you will bring me through and that you are greater than my own heart. And I trust that you are God under whose feet are all things, all angels and authorities and powers are under your feet today. And I put my faith fully and totally and completely and wholly in you. Help me to live freely and lightly and fully in Christ Jesus with a good conscience and a clear conscience in the name of